So now that we are really into Lent, we just had Ash Wednesday in those first couple of days, and they're kind of like a prelude to this big holy season. But as we get to the first Sunday of Lent, Holy Mother Church takes us all the way back to the beginning with chapter 2 and 3 of Genesis, going right back to the beginning of God loving us and forming man out of the clay of the ground, breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. And so man became a living being. I mean, really breathing out the Holy Spirit, bringing us into communion with him, planting a garden in Eden in the east, you know, with all of the trees, all of the good food. And then, you know, Eve coming about from the rib of Adam, you know, at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. They have this beautiful communion. Our Lord wants to share his love with us. And then, of course, immediately, we get that first temptation, the thoughts, the fall that come from our first parents. And as we enter into the season which helps us to go back into the love of God and to fight against the temptations of the most cunning of all the animals, of the serpent, the devil, the tempter. It's great to be able to just kind of focus for a little while this morning on how the devil operates, how he does this with our first parents, his try at Jesus, and then how he comes at us and how we can fight against that. So I thought this morning... We can just take a little bit of time to look at the way that the serpent operates. And it begins with, you know, throwing these little seeds of doubt. The devil knows that he's not going to get us by just suggesting we do something horrible, right? Like the temptation is not normally, hey, you should be unfaithful to your spouse. It's not, hey, you should go and rob Wells Fargo. Or, you know, you need to go and do this huge, horrible thing. No. The devil is very, very subtle. He knows how to just kind of throw those little seeds in there to get us to start thinking about doing something we wouldn't normally do. So you look at the way he begins this conversation with Eve. Did God really tell you not to eat from any of the trees in the garden? Now, if Eve would have just taken the time to think about that. And frankly, by the way, I know we, we look at this and sometimes like, you know, why do we say the sin of Adam? Like Eve is the one doing all the action here. By the way, Adam is very much to blame, if not more so. And he's right there in the midst of all of this. And if you look at what God said to them when he put them in the garden, I mean, Adam's job is a priestly job. It's a kingly job. He's supposed to be guarding the garden, taking care of it, making sure that bad stuff is not happening. And you look at this very comment from the serpent, actually, and it's hard because in English, we don't do a great job with our use of the second person plural, the you there. So if the devil was Southern, it would have been, did God really tell y'all not to eat from any of the trees of the garden? It's second person plural. He's talking to them both. And then notice this. When Eve does fall for the trap, notice it says after she took the fruit and ate it, she also gave, gave some to her husband who was with her. He's right there. And as the devil is having this conversation saying, did God really tell you not to eat from any of the trees of the garden. He's just standing by. And when the devil blatantly contradicts what they've been told by God, you certainly will not die, nothing. 
He just stands there, impotent, not helping out, not crushing the, crushing the serpent, not casting out these seeds of doubts. He just stands by and lets his guard duty down. And if Eve would have just thought about these comments that are being made, wait a second, God planted this garden, formed us out of the dust, breathed his very life into us, gave us everything, and certainly wouldn't have given us a commandment that would have left us to starve to death, right? If God really had told them not to eat of any of the trees of the garden, they're not going to live. It makes no sense. So this is the thing. The devil comes in and he wants to drive a wedge between God and man, wants to drive a wedge between our first parents. And I'll tell you in some ways, like, what is the deal with the devil? Why does he want to do this? When his pride and his envy He wants to tear us apart. And remember, envy and jealousy, they're actually quite different things. Like, I can be jealous of someone who, say, has a motorcycle, right? It's like, man, I'd really like to have one of those too. But envy is, that guy's got a motorcycle. He shouldn't have one and I don't have one. I'm going to go slit the tires. It's like, I'm going to destroy what's going on because I don't have the good that that person does. The devil and his envy sees the communion of love that our first parents have with God the Father, and he wants to destroy it. Now, as we look at this, and I know the common question, it's like, well, wait a second. Why would God plant this tree of the knowledge of good and evil and tell them not to touch it if it's going to be such a problem? Well, there's an unfolding with time, right? Gifts take a while to be given. We don't just give them all at once all the time. And there's a couple of ways to look at this. One of my favorites that I've thought about for years is think about that, you know, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's like a Christmas present that he wants to give. And if you wrap up the Christmas presents and put them under the tree and the kids on like December 15th are like, I'm going for it now. And they rip open the presents. It's going to ruin Christmas, right? It, It takes away from the beauty of giving to give the gifts. Another thing I heard this week was it's sort of like, you know, if you're parents, you're making cookies for the kids, right? And they're in the oven and they're baking. And the kids are like, I'm going for them now. Okay, if you do that, you're going to burn yourself. It's not going to be good. You're not ready for the gift. The gift isn't ready for you. This is the one I've come up with on my own. On my day off, my dad and I kind of have a custom. We'll very often go to a microbrewery and enjoy it. I'm sorry I jumped from sweet tooth to alcohol molar, but that's who I am. And so we go to a microbrewery, right? We enjoy the time together. We like the beer. But if my dad had started doing that with me when I was 12, that would be a problem, you know? He's like, son, what do you think of this IPA? Dad, you know what? It's not complex enough for me. Well, no, you can't do that with a 12-year-old. It takes time, right? I wasn't ready for that gift yet. Now I am, and I appreciate it, except for not during Lent. Anyway, so there are gifts that eventually will be given, And just because they don't have the fullness of the gift yet. And notice this. Eve is already kind of knowing a little bit of the difference between good and evil. Like knowing what she can can have and not have. Although I will say this. If you look at her response, the devil and his twisting of things and his exaggerations pulls her into it. When she says that God, God told them they can't, or they can eat from all the trees of the garden, but it's only about that tree, you shall not eat it or even touch it. God never said that. Already in the devil's twisting of things, he's starting to pull her into that, into that doubt, into that exaggeration. He wants us to doubt the goodness of God. 
He wants us to think that God who created us out of nothing just for the sole sake of giving us his love, he wants us to think that really he doesn't want us to eat of any of the trees of the garden. He doesn't want us to be happy. He wants us to starve. And unfortunately, our first parents fell for it. And what did they get? They found out they were naked. They found out they were scared. They hid themselves. They started accusing each other of things. The whole thing breaks down. We've been suffering with it ever since. But this is the beautiful thing. When we go to the gospel, here is Jesus' response. He's going down and basically entering into a similar fight with the devil as our first parents had. I've heard it put that he was basically setting a trap for the devil. And how does he do this? Well, it's not like he loads himself up with divine armor and like takes in weapons of mass destruction and he's going to, you know, kick butt and take names with the devil. No. He goes into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and fasts. And I love Matthew giving us that obvious comment. And afterwards, he was hungry. You look at our first parents, right? They're hungering for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jesus puts himself in a similar circumstance, being led out into the desert by the Holy Spirit. Basically, God moving into this place of vulnerability, of allowing himself to be tested. And notice, when the devil approaches, when the tempter comes forward, it's the same tricks that he used with Adam and Eve. Look at the way he poses that first question. If you are the Son of God. It's so much like, did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees of the garden? If you are the Son of God. Now remember this context. This is right after the baptism of our Lord. The gospel today is Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. The end of chapter 3 is the baptism. And when Jesus comes up from the water, the heavens are opened up. The Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove. And the heavenly Father says from heaven, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus has this awesome you know, just confidence and this assurance that the Heavenly Father loves him. He is his beloved son. And now he's ready to go into battle. The Spirit leads him into the desert. And 40 days later comes the first test. The devil saying, if you are the son of God. The Heavenly Father just said, you are my beloved son. It's there. But the devil still wants to try to get in there, to drive in a wedge. But Jesus will have none of it. And everything he throws at him, Jesus throws back at him scripture and tradition. You know, uh, if you are the son of God, make these stones loaves of bread. One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Each of the temptations is just Christ coming back with more confidence and love in his heavenly father. The devil keeps trying to get him. Take things into your own hand. Don't trust your heavenly father. Do it this way. I'm going to take you into the holy city. We're going to the parapet of the temple. Throw yourself off. And what that's like, it's like going to New York, going to Times Square, doing some big public feat so all of the world can see you and like you on Facebook. And all of a sudden you'll be really popular. And that'll make you powerful. You know, let's just do that. No, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This isn't about, you know, spectacular marvels. This is about being in loving communion with his heavenly father. And finally, the devil does get obvious, right? Showing him all the magnificent kingdoms in the world. I'll give them all to you. You just have to worship me. 
And of course, our Lord will have none of it. Get away, Satan. The Lord your God shall you worship, and him alone shall you serve. In all of this, Jesus is overturning what happened with our first parents. Adam allowed those seeds of doubt to be sown. He allowed their insidious roots to get out there and take root right away in his heart, in Eve's heart, and everything fell apart. Jesus enters into all of this, armed only with his love for the Heavenly Father. He's hungry, he's in the desert, but he trusts. He trusts through it all. And what is this season about? It's about us living in the same battlefield, having those same seeds of doubt cast at us all the time. The devil is no less cunning now than he was at the beginning, than he was with Jesus. He knows how to cast those little seeds of doubt at us too. Like I said, when he tempts us, it's not, go rob Wells Fargo. No, but first it's, you know, you're going to need a little bit more money. It's okay, just take a little bit here. Just rob this. Just take this. You can take a little bit from your friend. You know, don't be trustworthy. It really doesn't matter in the end. It's all about you. And he builds these things up that basically, no, you can't trust in God and his telling you to live in a righteous way because you've got to take care of number one. He knows how to get in there and to make us not trust. But as we see with our first parents, when we listen to the devil, when we cast off what our Lord is asking us to do, all we end up with is nakedness and fear. Our Lord shows us how to love him all the time. And I want to go into kind of a difficult example. And I say, I say this as a fellow sinner and not one who's wagging his finger, but I think this really exemplifies the point. So when I was growing up, there was a band that was really popular then. One of the guys I think is still very popular. It was called Ben Folds Five. One of my favorite bands even to this day. The music's really good. The message is rarely very good. But, and it's an ironic name too. There are only three of them, but they call it Ben Folds Five. And just as an aside, one of my good friends in high school went to go see them. They were signing autographs. And she didn't have anything for them to sign, so they became her witnesses on her license that she's an organ donor. Still very, I love that to this day, right? So Ben Folds Five, when I was in, in grade school, had a really famous song called Brick. You may have heard it. And it's all about Ben Folds and his girlfriend having an abortion. It's very sad, and this song, I mean, it was, like I said, super popular. But the refrain was, I'm a brick and I'm heading nowhere. Oh, wait, I'm a brick, she's a brick, and heading nowhere. Off the, off the coast, I'm heading nowhere. No, I got it all wrong. I'm a brick, and I'm drowning slowly. Off the coast, and I'm headed nowhere. You know, I'm glad that that's the part I forgot, not sacred scripture. Okay. So, there you have it. Off the coast, I'm headed nowhere, drowning slowly. When we think that I'm in a difficult spot and I have no options, I have to turn my back on God and on life, what does it lead to? Drowning slowly, off the coast, headed nowhere. The devil does not deliver on his promises. He throws these seeds of doubt to make us think, I have to take things into my own hand. I can't trust in God. I can't trust in others. I got to do it this way. And it's never the right way. This season is all about returning to our Lord of recognizing the fact that Jesus went head-to-head -head with the devil and in the temptation, in his passion, refused to doubt the love of his heavenly Father. All the way to the end when he says from the cross, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And then what happened? He rose from the dead. 
His love is stronger than any sin and death. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, we are still faced with the same temptations every day. The devil still is very cunning. He knows what to do. He continues to throw these seeds of doubt to make us think, did God really say you need to be chaste? Well, that means you're never going to be happy. Did God really say you need to fast and not just eat everything you want? Well, you're always going to be hungry. Did God really say you have to be honest? Well, you're just going to be duped. He loves to get in there and make us think that if we trust God, we cannot be happy. My friends... It's just not the case. Our Lord loves us, loved us from the beginning, loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son that showed us not just by words, but by his actions, by his life, and by his death that we can trust in our heavenly father. And I want to end this morning with a prayer that I hope will help you out. And I think it's beautifully written. It's a litany, and it's called the Litany of Trust. And it was written by Sister Faustina Maria Pio, and she is a sister of life. And that's a religious order based out of New York, uh, founded in part by Cardinal John O'Connor back, I think, more than 30 years ago now. And the Sisters of Life work with women in crisis pregnancies. They help with little guys, with little babies, and they also help a lot in post-abortive ministry. And basically, Sister wrote this litany, and it is just beautiful. The first half is asking Jesus to deliver us from all of the lies and the cunning of the devil. All those things that he tries to tell us that just aren't true, that we're not lovable, that we can't trust in God, that we can't trust in one another. And she asks that we be delivered from all of this. And then the second half, after being delivered, it's that we need to live in that trust, the trust that Jesus had and exemplified, the trust that the saints have had in God throughout the ages and the trust that we can have as well. And so I'll have this prayer in the bulletin for next week. And if you want to get it for your own reflection between now and then, just type in Litany of Trust on Google. I think it's like the second option. It's the Sisters of Life. And even if you go to just, I think it's sistersoflife.org, it'll be there too. We're going to pray this now in conclusion. Like I said, the first half, the response is, deliver me, Jesus. The second half is, Jesus, I trust in you. I would just say as we pray this, pray it in your heart. Pray along with me. Just ask our Lord for all of us that we don't buy into the cunning of the devil, that we know that our Lord loves us, that he is with us, and he'll help us each and every day to keep growing closer and closer to his love. And so here's the litany of trust. From the belief that I have to earn your love, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear that I am unlovable, deliver me, Jesus. From the false security that I have what it takes, Deliver me, Jesus, from the fear that trusting you will leave me more destitute. Deliver me, Jesus, from all suspicion of your words and promises. Deliver me, Jesus, from the rebellion against childlike dependency on you. Deliver me, Jesus, from refusals and reluctances in accepting your will. Deliver me, Jesus, from anxiety about the future. Deliver me, Jesus, from resentment or excessive preoccupation with the past. Deliver me, Jesus, from restless self-seeking in the present moment. Deliver me, Jesus, from disbelief in your love and presence. Deliver me, Jesus, from the fear of being asked to give more than I have. Deliver me, Jesus, from the belief that my life has no meaning or worth. Deliver me, Jesus, from the fear of what love demands. Deliver me, Jesus, from discouragement.
deliver me, Jesus. That you are continually holding me, sustaining me, loving me. Jesus, I trust in you. That your love goes deeper than my sins and failings and transforms me. Jesus, I trust in you. That not knowing what tomorrow brings is an invitation to lean on you. Jesus, I trust in you. That you are with me in my suffering. Jesus, I trust in you that my suffering, united to your own, will bear fruit in this life and the next. Jesus, I trust in you that you will not leave me orphan and that you are present in your church. Jesus, I trust in you that your plan is better than anything else. Jesus, I trust in you that you always hear me and in your goodness always respond to me. Jesus, I trust in you, that you give me the grace to accept forgiveness and to forgive others. Jesus, I trust in you, that you give me all the strength I need for what is asked. Jesus, I trust in you, that my life is a gift. Jesus, I trust in you, that you will teach me to trust you. Jesus, I trust in you, that you are my Lord and my God. Jesus, I trust in you that I am your beloved one. Jesus, I trust in you. Praise be Jesus Christ.